Praise the Lord. Well, loved ones, what a joy it is to be back together worshiping the Lord. Um, Let's open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word with you, then please put up your hand because our ushers are coming forward right now and we want to give you a Bible as a free gift to encourage you to continue to dive into God's word at home, all right? And all throughout the day. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four to nine, it's on page 87 in those Bibles that our ushers are handing out right now. And again, I just wanna echo what JD said earlier in announcements, happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies. I mean this on behalf of our elder board, on behalf of this church, We are so thankful for you, thankful for your investment into the lives of children in your homes and in this church. We are praying for you daily and are so thankful to the Lord for each of you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Here we are in the second message in our three-part series called Choose This Day. Choose This Day, the battle for the home and God's path for victory. Choose this day. The battle for the home and God's path for victory. Now we need to be clear again. We mentioned it last week in the kickoff. We'll mention it again. We need to be clear on what exactly God's definition of victory in the home looks like. Victory in the home is not a nice, comfy life where there's no problems and all our children turn out the way we want them to and all of this. Everyone say, that's not it. Victory in the home is God's glory in the home. That is what we see all throughout God's word. Victory in the home is God's glory increasingly in that home. And the focus of this series is to see what God has given us to see the home built up and rooted in him and enduring victoriously for his glory, no matter what comes against it. And there's a lot coming against the home today, isn't there? And so last week, we saw where it all starts from Psalm 127. We saw the path of God's victory is the path of dependence. The path of dependence on the Lord alone to build the house. And the overflow of this this week, here it is, dependency overflows into discipleship. Dependence, another way to say that is this, dependency is a prerequisite for faithful discipleship. Dependency is a prerequisite for faithful discipleship. No dependency, no true discipleship. Because you can't disciple on your own power in the Lord. And see, parents, make no mistake. Right out of the gate, I want to make this clear. Parents, you are to be the primary disciplers of your children. The primary disciplers in the Lord of your children. We cannot pass the buck on that. We can't drop our kids off at Hope Kids or drop them off at Hope Youth and say, good, I've done my job. Uh Uh-uh. Parents are to be the primary disciplers of their children. But church, as the spiritual family of God, we have, brothers and sisters, 
beloved, a God-given mandate to ensure that we corporately as the church are coming alongside families and children to proclaim the gospel to them on our lips and in our lives in seeing them brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this is whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you even think you're good with kids or not. If you are a Christian, you are called to children's discipleship. There's no question. Jesus said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them. And as his representatives here on earth, our cry must be the same. And we'll see right here today, and not just in this text, but all throughout God's word, write this down. Family discipleship is a community effort. Say that with me. Family discipleship is a community effort. It's all hands on deck. Now let's get some clarity when we talk discipleship. What does it mean to be a community of discipleship? Well, discipleship means this. We make disciples. We make disciples. What's a disciple? Glad you asked. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. A disciple is one who progressively, you never hit your discipleship ceiling, okay, in, on this side of eternity. One who progressively learns the word of God and is obedient increasingly to the lifestyle it requires. A disciple is one who's growing in their faith in both belief, knowledge of God, and practice. Living out the truth of God's word in obedience to him in his power. Now why is this absolutely crucial to remember God's path of victory is a path of discipleship? Well, think of it, loved ones. Discipleship is the greatest mission that God has given the church. Discipleship is the greatest mission God has given the home to fulfill. Why does God give us the institute of marriage? To make disciples. Why does God give us the institution of the family? To make disciples. Why did God give us the institution of the church? To make disciples. And we see that in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He gave us one mission. Everyone say one mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, including around your dinner tables. Including in your neighborhoods. And every part of family life. But there's a problem. There's a problem we face. And it's a big one. Discipleship. Let's just be honest. Here we go. Little gut check. Discipleship in the home isn't often our first priority. Discipleship, let's say, in the ways of the Lord is not often our first priority. Priority, even though the enemy, Satan himself, described as the father of lies, a lion on the prowl looking for someone to devour, the enemy is in an all out assault for the souls. Does this fire you up? The enemy is in an all out assault for the souls of your children and mine. And he hates them. And he wants to destroy them. John 10 10, the thief, that is the devil, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's his M.O. for you, Hope Youth, to destroy you.
That's what every thought of his is bent on. That's all he knows how to do. And we are powerless. Here's the thing about parents. We are powerless to do anything on our own against him. Does that fire you up for dependency on the Lord? See, either that's the case. We don't make discipleship the greatest priority in the home. Discipling our families through the word of God, by the spirit of God, for the glory of God. Or the other thing happens, or maybe in conjunction with it, most Christians and homes, most Christian homes and churches have no idea how to disciple. What is family worship even supposed to look like? How do you disciple when you're with your, at the park with your kids? What does discipleship look like when you're out for dinner? What does it look like when your kids come home from school? What does it look like at family movie night, on vacation, when they get hurt? We don't know how to do it. I said last week, statistically, 85% of so-called Christian homes. And as a result of this lack of knowledge or lack of priority, or both, we start to fill our homes with what the world says we should give our attention, time, efforts, finances, and affections to. And you just look around at the result of that. How's that working? The family is crumbling. And as the family goes, so does society. That's what happens. We disciple them in the world instead of in the word. But I want to encourage this. You may hear that and you'll be like, man, I'm totally freaked out and it's only the introduction. Listen, I want to encourage us with this, Hope Ottawa. God has a different plan. God has a different plan. He's given a blueprint for the home that will endure victoriously no matter what comes against it. He knew what times we would be living in. He's not surprised and he's given us an eternal blueprint to see the home victorious for his glory. But here's what it means for us today. Big idea of the text, you'll see it on the screen. God must be our priority. If the home is to be victorious in seeing and enduring for the glory of God, God must be our priority, so we must commit to discipleship. When God is our priority, we commit to discipleship. When God is our priority, his mission is our priority. As the church and in homes. And here in our text today, we're going to see three marks of discipleship we must increasingly grow in and commit to in his power. If we are to be faithful to the God-given mission of discipleship in the home and see the next generation rooted and built up in him, training in instruction in the Lord and watch him advance his kingdom for his glory. You ready to go? Hope that fires you up. Let's go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. We're gonna read verses four to nine. Kids, nice and loud. Hope youth, nice and loud. Let's read this together. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Let's get into this. A commitment to discipleship means this, loved ones. It means we must first off declare there's only one God we serve. A commitment to discipleship makes this declaration. The home, the church, the individual, there is only one God we serve. Our allegiance is to be to God Almighty alone. Let me ask you a question. This is a sobering question. Ready? What's taking his place in your life and in your home? Where are you giving greater allegiance to that than Almighty God? Let's get our context. It's been almost 40 years since Israel left Egypt. They've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And the entire first generation that came out of Egypt, that entire first generation died except two guys, Caleb and Joshua. And they are, the Israelites, there's about two million of them at this point, they are encamped on the east side of the Jordan River on the plains of Moab in a place called Shittim. You'll see it right there on the top of the Dead Sea. Here they are ready to cross into the promised land to take Canaan across from Jericho and they are poised to enter the promised land. Here we go. Promise almost fulfilled. In Deuteronomy, this book takes place during the last few weeks of Moses' life and is a series of sermons. Did you know Deuteronomy is a series of sermons and speeches that Moses is giving to the people before he dies? Deuteronomy has been described as Moses' farewell discourse. Now, if you're in a situation, loved ones, just put yourself in his shoes there. If you're in a situation where this is one of the last moments you're going to see these people what would you want to include in your farewell discourse? Would you want to include just a bunch of fluff? Or would you want to include the most important things you could encourage them with and tell them? What would you do? Hopefully, the latter. Last things are the most important things right here. And what's the focus of Deuteronomy? These speeches. To give God's law to the new generation. Here it is. To lay out God's commands for the people as they enter the land that he promised them, the land of Canaan. They were words of both warning and wisdom. And through them, God tells the Israelites what he was promising to bless and build their nation through if they would do them. If I could sum up the book of Deuteronomy, this text right here, it would be if the Israelites stayed faithful to the Lord in these things, he would not only bless and build the nation in their own generation, but for the next generation as well. This was his path to victory, his glory. And this section of text is actually of crucial importance in Judaism. It is called the Shema. The Hebrew word Shema means to hear. 
And it is part, even now, of the Jewish confession of faith that they recite twice a day. And it makes clear the priority God's people have in training up the next generation. Look at verse 4. Here's what they start with. What a great start. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses Proclaiming it to two million Israelites. The Lord is one. Hero Israel. Notice that. Again, he's speaking to the community. He didn't say, hero parents. Did he? Hero you who have kids, but don't worry about if you don't. Didn't say it. He said, hero Israel. The Hebrew there means, listen up and pay attention. Listen up. Israelites, listen up and pay attention to this truth that will set the foundation and trajectory for all else that is going to follow. And the truth is this. Here we go. Did you see it in the text? Go back to the text, verse 4. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is Yahweh. The Lord your God is one. If you look at the superscript in your Bibles, you can go down to the bottom of the page. You can also translate it this way. Uh, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Lord alone. It is a declaration. See what Moses does there? He starts out with a declaration of allegiance that declares this. There's only one God and Yahweh is him. There's only one God. There's a lot of names out there for a lot of gods today, right? Let's cut through the fog and make it clear. There's only one God. And his name is Yahweh. He is to be the object of your wholehearted and undivided worship, allegiance, and devotion. Because here's why this is so important, that the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to write this and to preach this. Because notice where the Israelites are. Go back to the map. Here they are. They're about to cross into Canaan, where they would be tempted to worship the false gods the Canaanites had made for themselves. They're about to be tempted on a whole other level. And as they entered into this culture, they would be tempted with what's called polytheism. You ever heard of that? It means you worship a number of gods at the same time and think that it's okay. Well, I can worship God. I can worship Baal at the same time. I can worship Asherah. I can worship Molech. I can worship Raphan. I can worship... I'll just worship them all. You can worship the true God and a bunch of false gods at the same time. You can have it your way. Now, think about this. Put yourself, bring it into today. Let's bridge it into today. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? Nothing new under the sun. Look at, let's look at some of the quote-unquote gods that the Israelites would be tempted to worship. By the way, there were roughly 10,000 gods in the Canaanite pantheon. 10,000 gods. Gods of, ready? So I did some research. I'm not going to read you all 10,000 right now, although that would be cool. But I summed it up into their categories. Gods of food. Think that's a small g god today? Gods of food. Gods of prosperity and wealth. Think that's a bit of an idol in our society today, maybe in your life. How about this? Gods of peace. Worship this and you'll get your peace. Really? Gods of health. Worship this God and you'll have long-lasting health. No trouble will befall you. Here it is. Gods of fertility. 
Worship this God and you'll have those children that you want. Gods of sex. I think there's a major, major idol of sex in our culture today. And it's hypersexualization on everything. Pornography. How about this? Gods of protection and security. You worship this God, you're going to be protected from this, 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 this. Now we just have different names for them. Gods of love and relationships. Gods of position and power and success. Gods of strength and gods of comfort. And that's just to name a few categories. Now look today. Are you and I not tempted to give allegiance to the same small g gods every day? It's right here. It's right here in our faces. Every day in our lives, in our homes, in the church. And instead of our homes declaring that our allegiance is to God alone, so often they resemble allegiance to the attitudes, actions, expectations, and values of this world. And instead of being our one God, the Lord alone, he just becomes one of many that we try to serve with a divided allegiance. I'm going to serve God, but I'm going to serve this addiction too. I'm going to serve this sin as well. I'm going to keep serving it. I'm going to keep giving my resources and my time and my attention to that, all while serving the Lord. Same thing. We have a problem. See, and here's what we have to understand, beloved. Eyes up here. Who or what you put first is going to order the rest. Who or what you put first in your own life, in your homes, or in this church will order the rest. This is why Moses starts right here with a declaration of allegiance. We put him first because if he's not first, everything else crumbles and there is no victory. Who or what you put first always orders the rest. And here's what, as a follow-up to that, write this down. Whatever you say has the authority, it will become the priority. Whatever you say has the priority, the authority in your life will become your priority. That's what you're going to chase. Whoever or whatever you say has the authority in your home will be the priority that you are discipling your kids towards. If their status and position and success is your authority in the home, you are going to sacrifice God on the altar every single day to achieve that, which will leave them empty. Whatever you say has the authority is going to be your priority. If your authority is finances, you're going to put your family on the altar of sacrifice every day to achieve it. And it will leave you empty and broken. What are you saying has the authority in your home? Whose authority will shape your home, will shape this church? What declaration of allegiance are you making? Does your lifestyle, your entertainment, let's break this down. I hope this is so helpful. Does your lifestyle, your entertainment choices that are on your TVs, your computers, and on your iPhones, do they reflect an allegiance to the Lord increasingly? The lyrics that you're listening to. The shows that you are watching. How about this? Does your hunger for God's word, does how you use your time 
the conversations that you have, the values you uphold, your fight against sin, does it reflect an increasing allegiance to God alone? Or is your life, your home, declaring a greater allegiance to the small g gods of this world? Are God's priorities your priorities? It has to start right there. Who you say as the authority will be your priority. And if you're wondering, how do I know? Ask the Lord. He's given us a beautiful gift. His name is the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord. Say, search me, oh God. Just like we prayed before this sermon. Search me, oh God. Search this home. This is yours. What is not pleasing to you? Ask those that fear the Lord that God in his grace has given around you. And don't be defensive when they give you an answer. Say, yeah, but still, I... I but I can watch that because just don't, don't be defensive. Nothing good comes from being defensive, loved ones. Nothing. God will not bless it. See, this is where discipleship starts. A commitment to discipleship means we must declare first off, there's only one God we're going to serve. And with this, with this declaration of allegiance, we see that a commitment to discipleship means we must demonstrate as an overflow of what we declare, now we demonstrate that allegiance. We demonstrate a love for God above all. See, here's here's the thing. Faithful discipleship starts in you. Faithful discipleship starts in you, in me. Question though, who does your life show you love the most? We've talked about the home. Now Moses takes it personal. Who does your life show you love the most? Let's read verse 5. Back to the text. Eyes in the book. Students, eyes in the book. Let's go. Follow along. You shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, after reminding the people that their allegiance must be to God alone, there's only one Lord, there's only one King, Moses then gives them God's central command that all of his other commands, all 613 of the other commands in his law here, hang on this one. They hang on this one. To love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might. Here's what it means. Let's break that down. You say, oh yeah, no problem. I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. Okay, here, let's do a little litmus. Here's, here's what it means. It means to love him with your complete and total being. Every part of who they are. All they are and all they have. And you might say, well, wait a second. That's not for today because that's total Old Testament. Well, careful. I'll take you to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven in the New Testament where Jesus repeats this as the greatest commandment in all of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It means this. Every thought... Let's just go slow. Okay, everyone close your eyes and just think about this. Love the Lord your God. Complete, total being. Here's what it means. Every thought you have, every feeling you have, every desire you have for something, and every part of our identity 
all that we are, it keeps going, keep your eyes closed, everything you do in every second of your life, everything upon which your heart is set and your mind is captivated by, here's what it means. It will be an expression of your love for God and you will love nothing else more than him. Okay, open your eyes and look up here. How's that going for you? Just look back at your week. Man, I've had to look back at mine already in preparing this. Yikes. Just look back. How's it going loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is anyone feeling like they need a savior right about now? We can't, can't do this. You and I can't, no, can't do this on our own. See, we will disciple the next generation the most in what or who we love the most. I'll say it again. This is why Moses starts out, you gotta, it all comes from love because you and I will disciple the next generation the most in what we love the most. If God is just an add-on to the rest of your life, good luck making him your priority of discipleship. If the sports teams that your kids are on, if their success is the God of your life, that's what you will press your discipleship in them for. Because who or what we love the most is who or what we disciple in the most. And you may say, well, well, wait a second, how do I grow in my love for the Lord? I don't know about you, but I have to ask that question. How do I grow in love for the Lord? Because from the overflow of that, the more passionate I am about him, the more passionate I am to disciple my family and this church in him. So how do we grow in our love for the Lord? It's a great question. Praise the Lord. His word's clear. Moses tells us in verse 6. Go back to the book. Here we go. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There it is. How do you grow in love for the Lord? And these words, God's words that I command you today shall be on your heart. See, Moses tells them how this love for the Lord is increasingly fueled by having his word on their heart. A love for God. If I could sum it up, I'd say it this way. A love for God is fueled by the word of God. It is living and active. A love for God is fueled by the word of God. The Hebrew there means this. Ready? Perpetually on your heart. It means to be perpetually on our mind. Studying it. Knowing it. Meditating on it. Understanding it. And then when we read God's word and we see his commands for what it means to live in right relationship with him, we promptly obey. Delayed obedience is just disobedience. We promptly obey it in his power. This fuels a love for the Lord, a love for what he loves, a love for holiness, a love for purity, a love for righteousness. And then you increasingly see the disgusting nature of your sin and mine. And we want to flee that and run to him. That's the power of the word. It's not, and you may say this, well, you guys are like totally legalistic. 
you're totally legalistic. Just getting in God's word all the time, bunch of Bible thumpers. Listen, listen to me. Listen, just read the text. This is not done out of legalism. You're not trying to earn anything from God here. You're not trying to earn greater favor to say, I did all my devotions this week. You're not doing that. But this is out of a growing love for the Lord himself. Let me ask you a question, loved ones. How's your time with the Lord? Just evaluate this past week even. How's your time with the Lord in just unrushed, uncommon communion and intimacy with him and his word? Just look at, look at your time with the Lord this past week. Maybe go back two weeks. How is your time in unrushed intimacy and communion with him? No phones, undistracted. No phones, nothing else running down your to-do. Just, just him in front of his word, the mirror of our soul. How is it? See, what we're going to see today and what we see all throughout God's word is this truth. Our days, loved ones, hear this. Our days must be organized around our time in God's word. Every part of our days must be organized. If you think of your life as a solar system, right? You think your life is a solar system, the sun is God's word. Every part of our lives, every part of our home, every part of our thoughts must have God's word at the center. When we get up, we make time in that unrushed, uncommon. When we go to bed, if we're going to get up earlier, we've we got to go to bed earlier. So we organize our life around our time with the Lord. And you may say, I have really young kids. Yes, I know it's hard. I remember those years. Fresh. Still feel like we're doing them sometimes. But God makes it possible. Why? Because without this unrushed time, our love for Christ, notice the text, without making that unrushed, uncommon communion with the Lord, our love for Christ grows cold. That's why he says, you have to keep God's words on your heart to keep fanning into flame a love for him. Because the, <laughs> the more you go out of it, the harder it is to get back in it. Your flesh will see to that. Because your love starts to grow cold. This is why he says in Psalm 46, he says, Be still and know. Don't be rushed and know that I'm God. Be still and know. Be still and you'll know. Be still and you'll grow. And be still and you will show. Demonstration. See, true discipleship, you'll see it right here on the screen. True discipleship is only possible out of a response of love to God, not a legalistic requirement to keep for God. Otherwise, we will disciple the next generation to be legalists. Little Pharisees. Not out of love for him. See, a growing love for God is the only enduring motivation for discipling others. That's it. That's why Moses has it right at the top. See, faithful discipleship starts in you. Question, loved ones. Who does your life show you love the most? 
Let's just be honest before the Lord. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're saved in Christ Jesus, you're not under condemnation. Ask the question, loved ones. We must. Who does your life show you love the most? Because here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. The greatest thing the home needs from you is your growing love for the Lord. The greatest thing the home needs from you. The greatest thing the next generation needs from you. The greatest thing the home needs from us as a church is our growing love for the Lord, for his word. Does our life reflect that? Dads, moms, single people, grandma, grandpa, the greatest thing those children need is not your money. It is not your experiences of, well, when I was a kid, I did that. I'm sure there's some really cool stuff there, but it's not ultimately what they need. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm old and I'm, you know, I don't know if I can keep control. If you're not dead, God's not done. See, this is the root of discipleship through demonstration. Why? Because we can't do it without his power in us through Jesus Christ. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing in John 15. Let the word of Christ fuel you. So one of the greatest prayers we can pray is, Lord, help me to love you more today. It's one of the greatest prayers you and I can pray. Lord, simple prayer. Lord, help me to love you more than my pride today, my sin today my reputation today, my status today, even my family, all those little small G gods. And I want to encourage us in this. You might be feeling like, oh man, that's so hard. Listen, God's not looking for perfection from us. He's looking for perseverance in his power. And when we blow it, and we will, in discipling the next generation, and the enemy starts chirping, that condemnation, you suck, you can't do it, you're terrible, blah, blah, blah. You grab God's word and you remind him who you are in Christ and you call on the Lord and you keep going in him step by step. You keep going because God's not done. A commitment to discipleship we, means we must declare there's only one God we serve. And we must demonstrate our love for God above all. Discipleship starts in us. And as an overflow of this final point today, a commitment to discipleship means we must diligently instruct. Teach God's truth in all. See, our mandate is not to keep the love for Christ to ourselves, not to keep the word of God to ourselves. Our mandate is to witness and to teach God's word to the next generation. Question, loved ones, is it your priority? Is it your priority? Look at, start at verse six and we will go six and seven. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Word of God, verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See, Moses tells the people they're not commanded to keep the truth of God to themselves, but to ensure it is diligently taught to the children. Now circle the word diligent. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Moses to write that word out of all the descriptions? Yeah, just go teach your children half-heartedly. Yeah, just go teach your children when it's convenient. He specifically wrote diligently. What does that mean? The Hebrew there means to sharpen. Oh, that 
sounds familiar. From last week, remember last week, like arrows in the hands of a warrior? The picture here of this Hebrew word diligent, you'll see it on the screen, it is, means to sharpen the blade of a weapon or a tool. That's the picture of family discipleship in a home. Remember, <clears throat> dull arrows are not effective. He says, diligently instruct, sharpen that blade, sharpen that weapon. It means to teach God's word clearly, precisely, carefully, intentionally, not haphazardly or flippantly. This is what, you see how it all makes sense? I love God's word. It's just laid out so clearly. Do you see why it makes so sense that we had to have a growing love for the Lord and his words on our heart first if we're gonna do this? It's right there. This is why you and I better have something deep going on with Jesus. Or we're in trouble. Because why? Loved ones, eyes up here. You and I, cannot teach what we don't know. You and I can't teach what we don't know and we can't lead where we don't go. End of story. We can't do verses seven to nine faithfully without verses five to six in our own lives first. So how do we do this? How do we disciple children in this crazy culture we live in right now? Moses tells them how they're to be doing this. Go to the text, verse seven. He tells them they are to be diligent in making it an intentional part of everyday life. He says, train up your children. Sharpen the next generation with a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview. So instead of looking at this culture through the lens of the culture, he says, get them looking at the culture through the lens of my word. Give them a biblical worldview. He says this, verse 7b. He says, when you sit in your home, everyday life, you sit in your home, you're in the church, your conversations around the dinner table. Those get pretty interesting sometimes, let me tell you. <laughs> get pretty interesting sometimes. Sometimes it feels like a train wreck and then all of a sudden they'll remember something that you say, you're like, yeah, go Lord. It's true, it's true, it's true. Conversations around the dinner table, when you open God's word, when you're in your living room and you're talking about their day. Talk to them, hear their hearts, shepherd their hearts, loved ones, and how God's word and the gospel speaks to the situation they're dealing with at school. Talk to them, disciple them in the biblical worldview. Those, those situations they're having with friends, when they're getting hurt, by a friend or they got teased or they weren't chosen for the team or whatever it was, talk to them, teach them, train them through the word of God. Teach them to pray. How about this? When you're having family movie night, oh, talk about an amazing on-ramp for discipleship. Family movie night. And you see something as you're watching that doesn't line up with God's word. Stop the movie and talk about it. Say, what? what's wrong with that? Why are they equating the life of a bee to be that of a human? Y'all know what I'm talking about. That is not right. That's the comment about why is his life worth any less than yours? He's a bee. That's why. Push pause and talk about how they've been created in the image of God. Imago Dei. 
What a beautiful on-ramp for the gospel. See, Martin Luther said it this way. He says, the word of God is a lion. Let it out of the cage and it'll fend for itself. But let it out of the cage in your conversations. We are not called to save, but to sow. The word of God is sufficient to draw their hearts to him. And he says, do it when you sit down and when you walk by the way. Keep going, verse seven, when you walk by the way. These are just the daily activities you and I have. Walks in the park, playgrounds, school pickup, trips to the store, when you're on vacation, it's summer coming up, if you're taking a vacation. Can I just encourage you parents? Do everything you possibly can before you drop the DVD player down in the van. Don't waste the opportunities. Talk to them. Engage them. As you're driving, where we're going, you're going through the mountains, look at God's creative handiwork there. That's awesome. Just let the word of God out. Trips to the store. When you're babysitting, here in the church, when you lie down, verse 7b, still, lie down and when you wise. First part, that just means the first part and the last part of day and every time in between. It is a life, it is a home that is organized around God's word. You see it? There it is. It's a solar system around the word of God. I love it. It's taking each moment to instruct them in having a biblical worldview and how God's, God's word speaks to literally everything in their lives. They have to know it does that. See, this is why this truth is so important. We, we say it here quite a bit. Don't lose it. Don't lose sight of it. It's never just another moment because of this. It's never just another car ride. It's never just another trip to the grocery store when God's glory is on the agenda. Ever. You'll see it on the screen. Why? Because every moment in a home of discipleship is a kingdom moment. Every moment's a kingdom moment. Take it for the kingdom. How, ask ourselves a question. How will this affect their soul? This movie we're thinking about putting in, even when they're begging you, parents, you are parents. Don't put the movie in if it's affecting their soul away from the Lord. You are the parents. Not your kids. I love this. Don't wait till you think they're old enough either. You say, well, my kids are really young. We have lots of young kids in this church. You say, my kids are really young and they're gonna be all squirmy. And Stop. Often, often, loved ones, we get caught thinking of the capacity of the children based on their height and not their heart. Listen, listen, listen. The Lord has put the same eternal longing, Ecclesiastes 3.11, in the heart of that young child as he's put in you and I. And I love, I love how, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It's one of my favorite quotes. Begin early to teach because children be begin early to sin. You ever notice that? They don't even get out of the crib and they're already starting. Where do you think that comes from? There it is. Begin early to teach. Don't let sin and unhealthy patterns fester for years before you crack God's word open with them. Begin early to teach for children begin early to sin. And notice this, verse 8 and 9. Moses goes on to say, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The gates were the picture. What was put on the gates was put there as a symbol of what has authority over that city. And Moses tells the people what they must do to ensure they're ready for these opportunities for discipleship. Day by day, moment by moment, he says, we are to instruct our children by binding. I love that word, binding God's word to ourselves and having it on hand. That means ready to use. And it just got me thinking about this illustration again. How often, loved ones, how many times do we have our phone in our hands? instead of the word of God on hand in front of our children. And none of this, well, the Bible's on my phone. None of that. (laughs) And we're not ready to take that moment for the kingdom because we're so distracted. Having it ready, the word of God to use on our minds in a place of perpetual remembrance. This is binded as frontlets. In Jewish culture, that's called a phylactery, where they actually have bands and a black wooden box that goes on the front of the band and they wear it. And this Shema is a little scroll inside that box. They take it literally. And so Jewish people will have it, Orthodox Jewish people, will have it bound to their forehead in a place of perpetual remembrance so they can speak readily to the situations that arise. And you may say this. Well, that's easy for you to say, Ray. You've been to seminary. This is an intimidating book for me. You may be there and you're like, I don't know what's going on here. Can can I just encourage you with this, loved ones? I'm not speaking about (laughs) exegeting Leviticus at the park. Or, 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 or on the van ride home from school. Or when you're babysitting. Here, here's what this can look like practically. You ready? Okay. You're walking down the street with your children. And you see a bird. And you say, hey, loved ones, look at that sparrow. Did you know Jesus talks about sparrows in Matthew 6? Do you know what he says about the sparrow? He says he's going to, they don't care. They're not interested in storing up food and things like that. And yet your heavenly father feeds them all the time. And he says he created you and you are worth way more than they are. And he's going to meet your needs for all who are saved in Jesus Christ. Welcome to family discipleship. Or here's another one of my favorites. The book of Nahum. Oh, I love this. Oh yeah. My kids could tell you this one. The book of Nahum. It says, when you're walking down the street, the clouds are the dust of his feet. And they say, look at those clouds. And you say, I know. Aren't they huge? You know what? Our God's bigger. Do you know why? Because Nahum says, those are the dust of his feet. They're like, I remember my boys. They were like, what? Or Isaiah 40, 26. Isaiah 40, 26. You go out at night and you see the stars. And they're like, wow, look at that. I remember being out there with a telescope with my boys. And they're all looking, look at the size of that one. Look at the colors of that one. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know what's actually way better? And they're like, what's that? I said, the Lord calls every single one of those out by name and none are missing and he holds them in place. That's awesome. That's Isaiah 40, 26. Welcome to family discipleship. When you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Here's another one. Here's another one. When they come home and that kid at school hurt them. And they've got this innate sense of justice. i got to get back at them. And they're angry. And then you remind them. You sit them down. 
and you remind them of Matthew 22 and you say, yeah, I know that, that must really hurt, but do you realize that you and I did something much worse to Jesus than what was done to you? And that person that hurt you deserves your, or you deserve their forgiveness much less than they deserve your forgiveness for them because of what Jesus has done. Or this, it's the summer, you go to the beach. Don't, I wouldn't recommend drinking any water from the Ottawa River, but you can go down to the beach and you say, and they're like, wow, look at all the water. And you say, yeah, look at all the water. And you know what? If you were to drink every single ounce of this water, you would be thirsty again. It would never satisfy you. And yet Jesus says in John 7, John 7, you come to him, he will give you rivers of living water and you will never thirst again. Awesome! How awesome is the Savior? Look at all that water. You think it's going to satisfy you? Uh, not quite. Like that is, welcome to biblical worldview. Take it a day at a time, loved ones. See, remember this. You say, but that, how could that do anything against the culture that's coming against us? Listen, supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. I'll say it again. Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. This is all Moses is saying. Ordinary acts of obedience. Teach it all the time. Don't stop teaching the God's word to your children. To the community. See, our mandate is to teach God's word to the next generation. Question, loved one, is it your priority? Are you taking the time? Is, is your life, is your home... Is this church a place of diligent instruction, sharpening instruction, not fluff, sharpening instruction? That's why the kids in Hope Kids, they get the gospel every week. It's not daycare. It's not babysitting. They're getting sharpened by the grace of God. See, what is your next step to having that home, your life, be that place of diligent instruction? Maybe it's to pray for them. Here's a good start. Invest in them. Even tonight, when, you, when they come up after, don't just brush past them. Say, wow, what'd you learn tonight? Talk with them. When you're babysitting them, mentor some of them. Serve in hope, kids. Serve in hope, youth. Don't, don't pass by on this. God's given us so many children here. Lord, help us be faithful. Because here's what we need to be clear on. If we give our children to the world, don't be surprised when they look like it. They will be discipled by someone. That's a given. You'll see it on the screen. God must be our priority. So we must commit to discipleship. Don't be surprised if we give them to the world and they look like it. Deceived, confused, hating, angry, prideful, purposeless, hopeless. That's what Satan wants. He's ready to disciple these kids. And if we don't disciple our children, the world will. Discipleship of the home is not our option. It's our mandate. As a church, as individuals, and as families. And as a church, we are committed to support and care for and partner with you in this mission. Go on our website. There's a whole web page there on building the house with resources for you to help training your children in prayer and in the word of God, study resources for you, marriage books, all of it there. Hope kids, hope youth, jump in. Small group, discipleship classes, training parents to train their kids. And you may say this, 
You feel like this some days? This is intimidating and hard. It is. And you say, I can't do this. And the answer is right, you can't. Neither can I. We can't do it on our own. But I want to remind us of this as we close out. God will not command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. God will not command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. And he sent us his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as fully God and fully man. Did you see how Jesus is in the outline? There's Jesus' life. He lived in perfect allegiance to God the Father. He displayed a perfect love for the Lord above all, and he diligently instructed against all odds the truth about him. You see it? There's the life of Jesus. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose again three days later so that all who would repent of their sin and confess him alone as their Lord and Savior will have forgiveness of sin and be saved from hell and be given eternal life with him and will be given the power and love and wisdom and perseverance and strength and grace now to live faithfully for him in training up the next generation. When we draw near to him and call on his name, this is the path for God's victory in the home. His name is Jesus. This is the glorious truth of the gospel that will not fail. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you, you are faithful. You have won the greatest victory that we would ever know. The victory over death itself. The victory over the enemy of our soul. The one who seeks to kill and destroy. And yet you came that we would have life and have it abundantly. Lord, I pray right now that for us as a church, these parents and singles in this room, that God, we would be both challenged and encouraged by this word today to say, here I am, God, use me. Not on my watch will I just let children go by the wayside. Not on my watch. Lord, I can do nothing, but you can get their souls. You can show your power in me and through me through these ordinary acts of obedience. And I pray that we as a church, Father, would not drop our mandate to this mission. I pray that you would unify us in this, continue to build us and show us how to care for the next generation, that every one of those kids that's downstairs right now, every one of them, every one of our youth at Hope Youth, not one would be lost. Lord, I plead for their soul. I plead for their soul. I pray you'd raise up a generation of parents that fear your name and are committed to the faithful sharpening and diligent instruction of their children to you there would be one allegiance demonstrating one love for you above all. Oh Lord, would you do this work in us? We need your help. We are dependent on you because unless you build it, we labor in vain. But you are great. We worship you. We love you. We look to you. Great are you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you stand and respond with song tonight?